no sucker more than meets the eye. <laughs> you suck toes, Brad? No. I mean, oh, no, not an anymore. Emphatic, an emphatic no. Goodness. What do you mean toe. not anymore? I suck the toe or two <laughs> in the heat of the moment. <laughs> but not on the reg. Uh, not on the rig. What not year? It. What's the last? What's? Give me a year. The last time you sucked a toe. It's <laughs> like an eighties, or, uh, or like, no, or like a no. fun, uh, a fun mom and dad date night, like like four years ago, where you well, guys just went too hard. It wouldn't be considering <laughs> that the nineties were my big years for you know toe sucking for that kind of fun stuff. It would leather pants and toe sucking, but uh. I don't know. All right. Can I share with you a tweet? <laughs> a tweet that Nicki Minaj wrote? Oh, no. I have to. No. It's too funny, okay? It's not funny. It is funny. It says, my cousin in Trinidad won't get the vaccine because his friend got it and became impotent. His testicles became swollen. His friend was <laughs> weeks away from getting married. Now the girl called <laughs> off the wedding. So just pray on it. And make sure you're comfortable with your decision, not oh, bullied. So I just read this, and I don't know if I'm a skeptic. Maybe I am. <laughs> but this sounds like her cousin's friend had an STD. Yes. <laughs> like of some sort where, you know, like it was probably a dirty dog. Yes. Got an STD, oh, got yeah. swollen testicles. Yes. And then said, oh, it was my vaccine. Yes. Made my testicles swollen. And then then they tell one friend and they tell one friend. Yeah. And then before you know it, 26 million Twitter followers are hearing this tale. It's very irresponsible. (laughs) It's so irresponsible. And it's so hard because the truth is the people that are going to read that and believe it deserve to get COVID and die. I'm sorry. It's called Darwinism. It's been around since the beginning of the earth and there's a reason for it. But unfortunately there's probably some people scattered in there who will end up paying the price for that. insanity. If we believed in Darwinism like that though, you know, people not much smaller than you were getting discarded into the well, <laughs> you know, not too long before. <laughs> they weren't big enough what? to fight. The court jester? <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, Steve Caballero came on the podcast. Yes, we did manage to get him on. It's uh, We had some technical issues, so it's... It's not the best sounding podcast, but I have to say that as the engineer, but it's, it's the, the content is, is what all that counts. The content it was counts. great. It was <laughs> great to talk to him. I was, uh, this is one of those people I was intimidated by. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, this is just one of those names that I've been ever since I got into skateboarding, I've seen this name and I've seen this image and that was a long time ago. It was like 30 mm. plus years ago. So, you know, this guy's been in my uh, general narrative for three-fourths of my life, which is wild, you know? Well, and um, he's he's the, he's the fucking pioneer. I mean, there's like, there's a handful of guys who started skateboarding and he's one of those guys. Like, Yeah. It's, he kept talking about it. And I know it was a weird reference to make in the podcast, 
But I kept thinking of George Mikan, who is like the original big man in the NBA, you know, who like invented like all this different stuff that's used in the NBA. Literally, when you uh, do a right hand layup to a left hand layup practicing, it's called the Mikan drill. You know, the guy literally invented this drill. And, you know, he's like, not to say Steve Cab is a, you know, he's a very well known name in skateboarding, but. It's becoming this like, yeah, I think uh, when you go to the the history of certain sports or certain cultural things, there's going to be these like bedrock names, you know, and between him inventing those tricks and then, you know, uh, you know, the half cab and, you know, which is I literally bought uh, his shoe for my son who's five. (laughs) You know what I mean? They still make them and they're still cool and. Um, so yeah, just kind of legendary status as far as that stuff goes. And I didn't bring it up in the interview because he has, uh, through my research, I've seen that he has extensively talked about, you know, the process of, you know, getting signed to vans and developing the, 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 you know, Caballero shoe. Um, but apparently it was, I, I hadn't realized the original version of the cabs, were high tops Mm. and people were actually like chopping the shoe down. What? Yeah. And like duct taping the top of Ah. it and modifying (laughs) the shoe. I did not know that. And it became such a regular thing that people were doing that he suggested to the company that like, Hey, like why don't we make it half the size because people are doing it anyway. And that was the advent of the half cap. Wow. Pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's big I was, history. I was trying to be unique, a unique podcast host, and maybe get into some things he hasn't talked about a gajillion times. So I didn't bring that up in the interview, but I thought it was very interesting. It is. Steve is a very gracious person, very friendly and nice. Uh all reports of this guy are are very kind and before we get started, we got to give a big shout out here, though, to Joe Sib, who hooked us up with the mystery friend. And I couldn't help but notice, like, you know, Joe Sib's one of the Californians I know pretty intimately. Mm-hmm. They have the same accent. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I hear it. I don't know if it's like that era of Californian skateboarder. Yeah. They all they all got the same rap. <laughs> it's fun. I like it. It's very it's very infectious, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's hella tight. It's totally hella. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's get into this. Let's do it. It's going on track! Steve, I know you're a father and you got a bunch of kids over there. What is it? Three? Well, I have two kids. I have okay. an older daughter that's in Sacramento. So I have two two young kids, uh, 12 and 14. Okay. So as you know well, I got a five and a four-year-old over here. I'm in like the first, you know, week of school back. It's like almost 830 at night. So I'm in basketball shorts, you know, like, sure. you know, I think it's fair at this point, right? Oh, yeah. I, I've been there, done that. So I, I'm, I'm feeling for you right now. How is it? I know, I know, you know, when you're a father of kids my age, you always 
think like things are getting easier in time, but it seems like it just comes with, with pretty new, new difficulties, right? What's easier, yeah. little, little kids or the, the age you have? Um, you know, it's all perspective and it's also all about, um, personality, uh, depends right. on, depends on who you're talking about. You know? <laughs> right. Um, I, I'll just tell you one thing. The daughters have been a little bit more difficult than the son. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah, they, they're a little, little bit more, have been a little bit more strong willed as I can describe it. <laughs> right. Is that your experience too, Brad? Ah, my daughter was a breeze, man. My daughter oh. was born first and like, I, you know, your first kid, it's, everything's difficult. You think it's like the hardest thing in the world. And it was literally the easiest thing in the world compared to <clears throat> my son and mm. everybody else's yeah. kid. <laughs> I would, I would say probably the hardest part with my oldest daughter was when she was in her teens where she really didn't want to have anything to do with me or listen to any of my advice. Um, with that stage, that was probably the toughest. Um, that's all changed now that she's a lot older and I'm feel wanted and loved again. So, and so, you know, I, I, I guess it all goes in stages, but, um, having kids have, have never, it's never put a damper on me being a parent or like, if I ever get remarried again, I, I wouldn't mind having more kids because I, I love oh, kids. Cool. Oh. Is that something like, you know, with the the world you were in, did it take a lot of uh, adjusting to put yourself into like a, a parenthood mindset? Or are you one of those people who kind of just um, rolled right into it? I, you know what? I pretty much roll with everything that I, I, I get, you know, include myself in and, you know, I, I think for me, as an entertainer, as an athlete, as someone who's is has a profession where I have to travel all the time, right. I have to make time for my job. I, I think it's been tough for the wives that I've married because one of my complaint of you know my first wife, she used to say like, you know, we got married and. You know, I thought you were going to change, but you're still the same, mm. you know? Okay. And I'm like, wait, isn't that a good thing? Like, <laughs> right. You know what I mean, I mean classic, but, classic mistake, right? Going into it. Yeah. Hoping. So, you know, yeah, sure. Um, you know, it's a balance. It's a balance um, being a parent and being a husband versus being um, some, a celebrity and someone in the public eye where I, you know, I have to, I'm getting pulled from left and right, all different places. And, and, you know, I work for a living. That's what I do. You know, it's not all fun and games. And, you know, I've given these women a luxurious life to just not work. Mm. And here I am working. And I'm not saying like being a mother and being a housekeeper is not work. I'm just saying go and clock in and do that at the same time. Mm. You know, yeah. I mean, they, they expected me to do what I do and then all of a sudden be daddy homemaker, you know, and, and, and take over, you know, when I came home, but 
you know, my, when I come home from traveling, doesn't mean my work ends, you know? And is this the same as me? I know like from my experience, you know, you come home from a tour, especially something, you know, with a significant amount of time. And it's really, it's like a headspace thing. It's like really difficult to transition back into a, you know, wake up early, um, grind it day to day kind of lifestyle when you're out there living that very separate lifestyle. It almost takes like an adjustment every time. Was was that an issue for you as well with the skateboard traveling? Not really. I meant, you know, like my previous wife, you know, used to be like, okay, you're done from your tour. You're done from a contest. Now it's your turn to take over. Right. You know, right. Like, uh, I'm like, what do you mean? Like take over? Like, <laughs> what are, you, are you on vacation now or something? Right, right. I'm home. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so that's the struggles, you know, and that's just part of, like I said, being a celebrity. Um, I think when someone who is attracted to our celebrity ness and fame, they have to realize that that doesn't stop as soon as you get married and have kids, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I think they forget that, you know? So if I ever, well, I'm ever to get married again, I, I have to reassure this person to say, Hey, my life's not going to change because we're married. And two, you know, you don't go on vacation when I come home, you know, you, you know, if you're going to start a family with me, then be dedicated to be a family person, you know? Right, right, right. And, and um, so, you know, it's just, that's just a person. Those are just personal issues. And yeah, for sure. It's it, a common, it is a common thing though. I mean, especially, you know, Benny and I are both musicians and I've definitely seen what you were talking about happening, you know, especially when we were all younger where, you know, one of the guys marries this girl who was attracted to the drummer in the band. And then she's like, why are you still the drummer in the band, dude? Like, aren't we, <laughs> we going to like go on and, and have our nice little life together, you know? But it, yeah. it happens on the other side, too. You know, I've seen plenty of celebrity situations where, you know, you knew you were marrying a diva, dude. What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, exactly. Like, I had a really great conversation with this uh, very famous artist from L.A. named Robert, Robert Vargas. Mm. We were in, uh, in Bay Ritz. France for this uh, show called Wheels and Waves. And we were sitting down talking, we're talking about women and stuff. And he's like, you know, Cab, he's like, we marry these women who are attracted to our fame and fortune. And then as soon as we get together to them, they start resenting the same thing that they're attracted to. Mm. It's like, what, what's up with that? You know, they get jealous because we're, we're traveling and, 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 and in the limelight and, and they're home taking care of the house and the kids, which they signed up for, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, if you're going to sign up for that, go, go all the way, you know? I'm still doing my job. I'm still doing what it takes to put food on the table and to put a roof over your, house, mm-hmm. your head, you know? Um, so, you know, I believe there's women out there. I mean, I, I, sometimes I get envious. I'll go to the track and I'll see... Uh, these girlfriends and wives just hanging out and guys are riding the track and they're out there supporting them. And I'm like, man, it'd be so rad to have a a moto girlfriend, a moto wife, just sitting there, just supporting their, 
their guy or, you know, anyone at a contest or, or even like these guys in bands where you guys, you know, go on tour for months and, and, and the wife is there at home taking care of the home front, you know, um, I, I got to hand it to guys in bands that, that go away for a long time and they have such a supportive wife or girlfriend back home. It's, it's amazing. And well, I know I mean, they're out. Yeah. They're I, out I think there. at this point, I mean, if you're uh, a full-time touring musician who has a family at home, I mean, it can't even function without like a rock at the house. You know what I mean? Like you can't, you can't do it without it. You would have to stay home. And it's a, it's a critical job. And I think that's where the biggest challenges I think are like, you know, communicating exactly what's expected of people and what can be, uh, how far people can go. Cause you know, just cause someone, uh, takes on that role doesn't mean they're like, all right, this is going to be me forever. Cause I guess, I guess the idea is if we don't have to change, but they do, right? Like if you're going to stay home and you used to be someone who chilled with all the skateboarders, went to the spots, chilled at the motocross spot, but now you want to have like kids in a house and you got to get lunches ready and do like all the shit. Yeah. They have to change and we don't a little. So yeah. like, I think there's got to be some kind of, you know, compensation the other way. Right. Oh, believe me. I mean, I've, I've, I've changed a lot and I've changed diapers and, and, and made lunches and, and <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. brought kids to school and picked them up and took kids to uh, BMX racing and, and take them to the skate park and take them to the beach and take them to oh. church. And I've done, I've done the dad thing. You know, I, I haven't been the guy that did, ha, didn't want to participate. Oh yeah. You look like super dad on Instagram. <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> like. I've, I've tried, you know, I've tried, but um, you know, it's my bad. It's my bad for not uh, preparing and, and letting these women know like, hey, this is the deal. And it was just under my assumption that they knew. But, you, right. you know, you can't always assume that someone's going to actually understand. So, it, you know, I, now I know from experience that if, like, if I ever do get in another relationship, and which will probably not be for a long time because now with this band, and who knows where this is going? I may go on tour. Right. You know? so yeah. It's like, it's like one of those things where I don't know if I want to have a girlfriend. I don't know if I want to have a wife right now because I want to have that freedom to be able to play my guitar and tour with the rest of the guys. Well, I mean, you seem to have like a, a, a number of different ways that you can put your attention between the, you know, the art and the skating and the music. Um, I mean, is that how urethane uh, came to pass was you were just uh, in the pandemic and had a, you know, need to, to get something else going, or was this something you had in the pocket for a while? Um, well, you know, I, I don't know if you know, I, I've been in this band called the faction for sure. Yeah. Many, many years from 1982 to 85 was the, 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 the run that we had and then broke up. And then, you know, we spent a couple of years apart and, regroup and spend a couple years apart regroup. So we regrouped about three, four times from 1985. And right before the uh, pandemic hit, I call, I said, I want to call it quits with the band. Cause I just felt like it was very stagnant. You know, mm -hmm. I felt like playing the same songs over and over 
in my 50s when we wrote them when I was 17. <laughs> right. You yeah. know, and I just wanted, I wanted to grow as a musician and I wanted to start something new down here in North County and San Diego area. So I told the guys that I'm only playing a couple more shows and, and that's it. I don't want to Where, play where were the faction guys living? Um, well, our, 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 actually our guitar player lived in Vegas. Oh, um, okay. Our drummer lived in Sacramento and our bass player and singer lived in San Jose and I'm in San uh, Diego. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't, we didn't get together. We never practiced. We just kind of like played along to the CD and then here we're going to do this set list and, and let's, right. let's, meet, let's meet somewhere and, and, and do a show. So that was fun for a while. But, you know, like I said, I wanted to grow as, an, as a musician. So I started a new band down here um, in the meantime. And, you know, before the pandemic hit, I was actually playing with this other band for about a year. Um, I was playing bass. I was a guitar player and a drummer. And we wrote about nine or ten songs. And then we were, then we were looking for a singer. Right. So I put a little uh, post on Instagram letting everyone know, Hey, I got this new band going. We don't have a name yet, but I'm looking for a singer. Uh, anybody want to try out? And I got a lot of calls. I got a lot of emails, texts. And finally I got this text message from this guy, Tim, who lives in Carlsbad and he played me a demo and I fell in love with it. And mm -hmm. I shared that, it with, with the that was band. His band war fever. That's his band. Yeah, so Tim was a guitar player for War Fever, but he was working on a solo project uh, okay. by himself, which had him writing all the song, the whole songs and also singing, which he didn't do much singing in War Fever. Okay. Hmm. So I brought the demo to band practice and said, hey, this guy reached out and I, I really like his singing and I want him to try out for the band. But the response that I got wasn't the response that I, that I was, you know, that I wanted from these guys. Right. And they, they just, they seemed very disinterested in Tim and the style huh. of music that he was writing. So I had to make a really big choice and decide to leave this band that I was jamming with for a year to join oh, wow. with Tim and and move forward with him and so you just had that strong of an instinct about tim and his songs well i did you know because i know what it is i've been in so many bands and i've seen so many bands and you know a singer makes or breaks the band i don't care how good you are as a musician i don't care how good the the back line is but if the yeah. singer is terrible then the whole band's terrible <laughs> sure you know yeah, I so, do. I do yeah. very well, actually. Yeah. And singers, you know, they're, they're hard to come by. A good singer yeah. is hard to come by. So right. I did not want to pass up on Tim. And I felt really strong about his voice, about his songwriting. And it was like music I, I liked, you know. Um, cool. So I made that choice. And I, I think it was a very wise choice because, you know, we're not even a year into it. We have a, uh, an album being released on Cybertrack records um on september 24th and we we had we would not even be a band for a whole year yet i wouldn't even know these guys for a whole year and we have an mm -hmm. album so what is t like when you started writing with urethane rewriting were you now working on uh you know the demos tim had sent you or all brand new stuff 
the demos that Tim had sent. Cool. You know, I wanted to, um, I liked his songs and I wanted to work with him to uh, either rearrange them or add some, you know, add my flavor to them. Sure. And I wanted to use what he had wrote as a, as a basis because, you know, uh, they went really well with, with his, uh, his mu- the music he was writing. Right. And, you know, I, I, I thought it would be a lot more difficult to have Tim come in to a group that had 10 songs already written without any lyrics. You know, I, th- mm. I think, I think, uh, you know, I was, I was talking to, uh, to Jim from Pennywise and he's like, he's like, don't let Fletcher fool you. You know, I wrote a lot of those songs on those Pennywise albums and I didn't even know Jim could play guitar. Huh? You know, interesting. And, uh, yeah. it is interesting. Cause I thought Fletcher wrote everything. <laughs> right. I did too, you know? actually. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's 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 really important that that the singer has some kind of uh, talent on a guitar or bass because that that's help that helps write great songs. That's right. You know, or melodies. Least, yeah, you need you need or at least a unique voice, a melody, something. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So, um, you know that, and that's how this band started. You know, and um, with with I met I met Tim at a coffee shop, and I really. You know, because I normally when I meet people for the very first time, I kind of like meet them at a coffee shop. I don't just invite them to my house because I'm like, okay, I don't want to invite some weirdo over. And like, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, right, right. Yeah. It's like, but, yeah, um, it's like the rules of dating, right? Like first, <laughs> you're not going out to like dinner in a movie. Exactly. You know, someone you met on MySpace for the first time or something. Yeah, it's, it's a little much, a little yeah. much. Yeah. So, so I guess the, the, the exchange at the coffee shop was not weird. No, it wasn't weird. And <laughs> he came off like one of the coolest dude, really humble. That's cool. You know, very, very well-mannered, just nice, smart, friendly. And I'm like, this guy is awesome. Like cool. I, I could start a really cool band with this guy. This is guy's going to be really easy to work with. He's professional. You know, he's just a, you know, it's 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 very important when you're in a band that you get along with the people in the band. Doesn't matter, like I said, how how good of a musician you are. If you can't hang out with each other, um, it is it's not going to last. Yeah, and it know? sounds like he's a good worker too. I mean, I I just had a, a an experience. I, I just went and played music with people I've known for you know. 20 plus years, good musicians, but I've never played with them before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, get in a room, everything was good. But one of the most reassuring parts of this project was that I get home and within two days, you know, the, the three demos we had done in studio now had another batch with guitars over it, now had another batch of vocals over it. Yeah. And that was just like an indication. I'm like, oh, good. Like, there's a worker in this band too, like right. someone who's real focus, someone who's working, someone who's right. Really, and it's not going to tick without that either. You know, it sounds like Tim is a, uh, a pretty prolific writer and worker too, which is cool. No, he's on everybody in the band, uh, Chad, our bass player. He's the singer for Skipjack. Right. San Diego band that, that's been playing for years. Um, and our drummer, Dylan, he was a drummer for the bomb pops when they first started. Right. Um, but they're, they're all very hard workers. They're professional. They're on time. They're prompt. 
Um, they're serious. Like these guys are like, I would have to say the easiest guys to work with. And there's no weak link in this band. Like we all have contributed our, 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 our influences, um, our connections, like everybody in this band has booked two or three shows this, this, this year. That's impressive. And we have, we have a booking agent. So we have a booking agent working for us. I'm booking shows. Tim's booking shows. Chad, Dylan, we're all getting these shows like thrown at us. And that's why we have so many shows now because everyone's putting in, you know, the work and it's paying off, you know? That's unique. That's really unique. It is unique, you know? And, uh, and, you know, I, I would never be in this, this situation if I hadn't made that choice of leaving that other band. Right. Yeah. Bold move. Um, it was. So what came first for you, the skateboard or the guitar? <laughs> That's funny. Um, a lot of guys ask that. Um, skateboarding, definitely. I picked up a skateboard when I was 12. Okay. Um, I didn't pick up a guitar or a bass until I was like 17. And I was yeah. like, when I was getting into skateboarding, uh, you know, this is, you know, now we're talking like mid nineties is when I was getting into it. But, um, you know, there was a very, an obvious connection between skateboarding and music. The second I discovered it, actually, I think music almost led me into skateboarding. Now back then, was it the same? Was there already this, uh, really strong tie between local music and your scene and the skateboarding scene? Well, skateboarding. So I, I grew up in Northern California. I grew up in San Jose. I lived on the East South side of San Jose, Mm -hmm. which was predominantly um, African-American and and Hispanic. Um, The music choice back there in the seventies, mid seventies was either R and B soul or disco. Okay. Um, Rock (laughs) was definitely not part of the agenda there. Yeah. Right. Sure. Um, there was a group of, of guys that would hang out in the quad. We called them the stoners. Okay. And they, they, you could tell that they, they would smoke cigarettes and, and drank beer and listen to rock, you know? Okay. Um, but that wasn't the choice of music where I, where I grew up, you know? So hmm. it wasn't until I traveled to the other side of town in about 20 minutes from me in Campbell, which was predominantly Caucasian. Okay. Um, and that's where the skate parks were being built. And right. when, once I went to the skate park, there was ghetto blasters playing with, with music and the music choice was rock and roll. Okay. No, I would have never listened to rock and roll where I live because it just wasn't part of my heritage or, or who, you know, who I was hanging out with. How you grew up. Yeah. So what, so what's coming out of the ghetto blasters at at that, those years? Dude, ACDC cheap trick and Aerosmith. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And and I'm like, as soon as I left the skate park, I'm like, mom, take me to tower records. Right. I'm buying buying my first cassette. And what were, what were your parents listening to? Like, what was, that was the music uh, in the neighborhood. What was the music in the house? Well, probably Spanish music. Yeah. Or, uh, might, might've been like, um, uh, Johnny Cash. Okay. Um, Jim Croce, the Beatles. Um, my older brother listened to like stuff like America, the Eagles. So I was, you know, I was kind of, tr- you know, attracted to that folky type. Okay. Type of music, you know, um, Rob, maybe Bob Dylan. Um, 
the Beatles for sure. Okay. Um, not rock and roll, not rock and roll, not hard rock, you know, yeah, not, right. my, my brothers, my dad would never listen to ACDC or cheap trick or, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So when I left the skate park, I'm like, I'm buying those. Cause that's what skateboarders listen to. I want to be a skateboarder. I want to fit in. I want to be cool. So that's the type of music I started listening to. And uh-huh. then as I went to the skate park, I started hearing the music change a little bit and it went from like rock and roll to like new wave. Oh, and I started okay. hearing bands like Gary Newman, Devo, huh. Missing Persons, um, B-52s. And right. I'm like, oh, what's this? New, you know, Oingo Boingo. Like I was, I was hearing these like this different style of music, you know? And then all of a sudden the Sex Pistols hit. And all of a sudden, the Ramones hit. And then here I am, like, hanging out with my friend Skate, skate Park. And they're like, check this out. The Dead Kennedys, uh, TSOL, the circle, the circle Jerks. Okay, the Circle <laughs> right, Jerks. Yeah. Angry Samoans, you know. Um, uh, uh, TSOL, Black Flag. And I'm like, wow, this is cool. Now, this is cool. And you were you were like automatically attracted to like what in that music? Just the the aggression, um, the messaging. Like, were you? I just were, I think it was the aggression and the the uh, just how hardcore and rough around the edges it was, and it kind of really reminded me of skateboarding, right? Because skateboarding back in the you know mid seventies or late seventies wasn't really respected, or you weren't mm. looked you were looked down upon, you know, um, being a skateboarder, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the jocks at at school hated us, you know, and even a lot of the punks in the punk scene hated skaters too. Really? Really? Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of guys, um, because in, in San Jose, the punk scene, they were all like into like GBH and exploited and English dogs. And they were all like spiked out, charged up. Yeah spiked hair uh leather jackets and we're like skaters you know skate like vans and torn jeans and t-shirts and and uh so you know in the early 80s i was getting chased by jocks and punks and skinheads you know and i'm like shoot okay we're we're like an outcast in ourselves you know and Mm. um and i was going to like punk, punk shows back then you know um I had never been to a concert yet. So my okay. very first um, shows were like little gigs and there were punk local punk bands. And, and um, you know, I went to those in San Francisco. I went to a lot of them in Santa Clara, uh, San Jose. Um, yeah. So. And how are you getting around? You know, I'm, I'm East coast, like from, you know, the New York city area. So I always wonder when I hear these stories and I know you're underage and I know there's no version of public transportation where you live or mm-hmm. some version, but like not always a useful one. Like how are you getting around to all this stuff? Well, my friend who um, used to skate with me at the skate park named Gavin O'Brien and his brother, Corey, um, they had, he had a 69 Camaro. Oh, nice. So we would, we would go in his Camaro and we called it the, it was orange. So we called it the orange bomb and he would drive <laughs> us um, to, to gigs in San Francisco, um, all over San Jose, the Bay area. And I ended up starting a band with Gavin. Um, 
and we and we and we we it was actually a couple guys from the skate park i teamed up with them and found out some of them um could play guitar some guys could play drums um I, i i picked up a bass and i started learning how to play and um you know and that's when i found uh gavin who skated with me and said hey gavin you want to try out singing he's oh yeah i'll try it out and you know it worked just worked out so 1982 we formed a band and we called it the faction wow that's crazy yeah. i have this kind of dusty perfect like dazed and confused image of your crew in like the late 70s rolling around in a orange 69 camaro going to punk shows <laughs> Pretty iconic looking in my head, you know? Well, it was actually more like 80, 80, 81, 81. We were, we were, we were, we were driving in, in the orange bomb and we were like, the skate parks had already closed by then. Right. And we were looking for skate spots, empty pools, ditches and during the day and going to punk shows at night. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was, you know, you know, looking back, um, you know, doing for, for this interview and I see some of these images of you as a, you know, young kid, like it looks like you're 15, 16 and, you know, starting to get into the competition scene. And, um, and it just makes me wonder, like how at that age, like, how are you getting the competitions and getting boards? Like for you, was it all rogue? Um, or did you have like supportive parents who were into, into your endeavors? Um, my parents were super supportive. Um, cool. my mom would drive me to the skate park, pick me up. Um, I would take the bus sometimes if I had to take a, a, a Greyhound bus to, um, LA, my dad would take me to the bus station, pick me up. If I had to get a flight, you know, I didn't start flying until I got sponsored by, by Pau Peralta, right. uh, in 1979. Um, but before that, you know, I was part of a skateboard park team called Campbell skate park in 78 and 79 oh, the and actual was, park the actual park sponsored you guys yeah because they're uh back in the late 70s there was a bunch of skateboard parks that were built um by a bunch of investors and they thought that skateboarding was the next big thing oh and um so a lot of people in the bay area a lot of doctors and lawyers and and construction guys uh all pitched in money and 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 try to bank off this new skateboarding phase and build skate parks and it just ah. it crashed. It just, it didn't pan out. It, the, the land actually ended up being worth more than how many people um, actually bought memberships and skated. Wow. Uh, so yeah. yeah. How are they actually monetizing it? Like private memberships to go skate there? We had to get a membership first, a yearly membership, and then you had to pay hourly and it wasn't uh. cheap. You know, it was like a dollar 75 an hour. Oh, wow you know, back in the 77, 78 and yeah. membership were probably like 30 to $50 a year. That's a lot of money back then. Yeah, for sure. You know? and I was 13, 14 years old and no job going to school. Um, you know, so it wasn't until I was 15 years old when I got sponsored by, by or 14, I got sponsored by pal. Then they started flowing me products and I didn't have to pay for products anymore, skateboard mm. equipment. And they also started paying for my skate time at the, at the skate park. Oh, so, okay. you know, I, I started learning the, uh, the, the, um, the, the role of being spo- a sponsored skateboarder and yeah. working with somebody, you know. Um, and then in 1980, I turned pro and released a signature deck. 
And by that time, I was already pretty famous in the skateboard magazines because of all the promotion that Paul Peralta had put into me as an amateur that my board was selling. So by by the time I turned 15, I was a sophomore. I was making money off selling a signature skateboard. That's where I started to actually make more money than my mom. And I started putting it in the bank. And as the years went on, the, the the board sales grew skateboarding grew we started making videos because the only access to skateboarding was magazines and when the video age came out um pal peralta went with it and we started making videos right to share with people to sell at skate shops and so people could see skateboarding on television and prior to that it was all print it was all print magazine i mean that's why the u.s that's why california was so ahead of europe and Asia and all these other countries, because these skateboarders that were in these other countries didn't know what we were doing until like six months later after they got Mm, the magazine. Right. And we were already onto something else. So until the video age came and we started making videos and started sending them overseas, that's when you started seeing them pick up and progress faster because they could visually see what we were doing. Must've blown people's minds at first. (laughs) It it, it did, you know, Like for me, I learned a lot of tricks by looking at sequences in a magazine, like a photo sequence. Right. You know, and that's that was my way of like creating, you know, tricks and learning, relearning tricks that were already invented. And at that time, we were at a at a at a at a a time where skateboarding was really young. There wasn't that many skateboard tricks. Right. And we started inventing our own tricks. You know, we started being creative in that in that sense, and uh, and that's how you got known that's how you got ahead of someone else. That's how you placed well in a contest was you brought something new to the table. Mm. So I had this mindset as a professional skateboarder that every contest, I need to bring something new to the table. If I want to place higher, mm-hmm. you know, and right, uh, right. that was my mentality. And I'm glad I learned that at a very young age because it really helped me push skate my skateboarding and my professional career. And it's taught me to use that formula with art it's taught me to use that formula with music. It's like you're you're just as good as your last CD. You're just as good as your last contest. Mm. You're just as good as your last art piece. Push yourself. Do something better. Interesting. You know? Satisfaction is the death of desire, as Hayfried <laughs> would say. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, don't don't fall asleep because there's always someone hungry, just yeah. like. And I've always told people, it's easier to reach the top. The hardest part is staying there. Right. Sure. That's the hardest part. Do you think like coming up the the way you did in that competition circuit kind of maybe framed your outlook for all the other things you do? Like do you do you see like music and art at all like competitively? Totally. Huh. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Only, and the only reason why I say that is because people are judging you left and right, no matter what you sure. do. Sure, sure. Uh-huh. You know, they are judging you. You write a new song. They're like, mm, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I like it. No, I don't like it. You know, yeah. they, you're going to be critiqued by everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that you wear. There's always someone that has an opinion about what you're about. Yeah. You know? So that could either shape you, form you, or make you disappointed um, putting yourself out there. And if you learn 
to just take the opinions of people, you know, like a grain of salt and just do what you love. It doesn't matter if they like it or not. If you love what you do and you do it for lots of hours, eventually you're going to be successful at it, no matter how accepted it is or not. I mean, sure. I supporting my whole life and now look at it. It's in the Olympics. Yeah. Know? Yeah. That's actually, that's, it's perfect. You just said that. Cause what you were talking about, something I wanted to even discuss with you while I had you is, you know, I'm watching skateboarding in the Olympics and I'm, you know, seeing this, you know, super competitive series that's obviously, uh, you know, the, the scoring and technique is such a, you know, step, I don't know, above or to the side of where the contest used to be. Um, like, like, what do you think of when you see this, the skateboarding in the Olympics? Like, are, is it just full pride that the, the sport you love so much is on such a big stage or do you have any opinions or thoughts about like the way it's being uh, carried over and like presented in that world? Um, I accept it with open arms, you know, um, I've seen many ups and downs in skateboarding. I've seen it grow. I've seen it almost disappear. Um, I've been on this roller coaster with this sport and I, I have to finally say that we finally arrived in a place where um, people are going to get what they deserve um, with all the hard work. Um, so I'm happy for the skateboarders now and what they're getting. You know, I was there to pave it along the way. Yeah. Um, it, it's really cool to actually, I mean, I wasn't invited to the Olympics. I mean, I stayed home and tried to watch it on TV, which it was probably the worst terrible um, programming and, and display. Uh, uh, it was, they yeah. made it so difficult to watch, huh. you know, it wasn't how like, so, how just, so just like the, the way they were filming the, the actual were, skateboarders. No, the way they were streaming it and the platforms they were allowing to watch it on. It's not oh, like, Oh yeah. Right. Turn yeah. on channel seven and there's the Olympics. No, no. Yeah. You know? Uh huh. So that part I think lacked, yeah, you know, I, I it lacked um, the way you had to download. I mean, I kept getting kicked off of Apple TV to, you know, I was on like NBC Olympics and then I was watching it for a while and all of a sudden I get kicked off. I'm like, yeah, you're not <laughs> right. subscribed. Yeah, I'm like, right. What are you talking about? Like, okay, well maybe it'll show up on YouTube, you know, and I'll get to watch it on YouTube. And, and it was just, that was the part I hated was how difficult it was to, to get on a television and watch it. Yeah. Right. Um, but like I said, um, skateboarding Olympics is going to open doors even bigger for skateboarding. And I feel like there's going to be more attention to it. There's going to be, um, a lot of great opportunities. And what was cool was when Olympics was on, I was getting all these text messages and they're like, dude, they're like saying your name through the whole Olympics. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, half cab this caballero to this uh, rail and i'm like awesome and i'm like that's so cool you know like i'm not there but i'm there oh yeah you know? yeah yeah for <laughs> and, sure sure so, half of them are wearing your kicks yeah <laughs> uh. you know so yeah it's so it was it's an honor you know for something that i created in 1980 sure. invented this trick that transcends 40 years later and people are calling it out and you know, and it's pretty it, amazing. It, it is amazing. 
It's, yeah. it, so I feel really blessed. I feel really flattered, honored to, to have done that and have it be a mainstay in our sport. And, and it's a legacy that will, that will live forever. You know, when I'm gone, they're going to still be saying my name. Yeah, dude, you're yeah. mortal. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. Which, which um, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I mean, we're talking about like the, you know, the actual sport side of it, um, you know, but, you know, anyone who's really into skateboarding is usually attached to a kind of a, a larger cultural element of skateboarding. And some of it, a lot of it has to do with what we talked about before, you know, subversion, right? Like it, it's always, uh, always seemed like a place where, you know, the left of center kind of person can have a safe place to go, go be weird, go be yourself. It's kind of always had that, that sort of spirit connected to music and, and interesting things. Like that was one thing I was wondering what you thought, you know, I'm looking at these kids in the Olympics and I'm like, they're obviously incredible skateboarders. I mean, technically so far beyond like, what people were doing 20 and 30, like it's, it's almost insane what they're doing, but I'm like, do these kids have that? Are they bringing in that like subversive cultural element to this like next generation of skateboarding? Do you think that's still in play? I think there, I think that, I think there are, there's some that are, there's some that bring a lot of flavor to it. And, and um, definitely a lot of people are inspired by these kids and look up to them um, so they're, 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 they're the representation of their generation. You know, I, mm. I was a represent representation of my generation in the early eighties, you know, so they, they're definitely carrying the torch and no doubt. Are they not, are they blowing minds? I mean, look at punk rock. I mean, look how far punk rock has come from when it started. And, you know, it's just insane how, you know, it's accepted everywhere. And like, I feel like it's like that's arrived as well, where it's not looked down upon, you know, and the style of music and, and obviously, you know, um, it's changed over the years. It's gotten a lot more melodic and, and a lot, you know, um, and I think that's what scares me, Steve is like, I'm watching the VMAs last night. Right. Yeah. And I see this machine gun Kelly character, like, I could give, I don't give a shit about this person really, but they're clearly like adopting, you know, this, what they deem to be emo and punk rock as far as their fashion and their music. And they're, you know, pretending to be that to the mainstream. And I can't sit there and be like, Oh my God, I hate seeing this. This is not fun for me to watch. This is so unauthentic. And I think, the thing I worry about with the Olympics is someone who's just a real fucking square. You know what I mean? Becoming like the face of skateboarding because they're just that good at it. Um, You know, and, and it's not like bringing, uh, you know, any of that like subversive element. Like I get scared. It gets too big without any of that coming over, you know, like I don't want someone to machine gun Kelly skateboarding. (laughs) <laughs> um yeah i don't know i meant uh 
style, style, the style of skateboarding, the style of fashions changed a lot over the years. I um, apologize if MGK is your boy. <laughs> no, 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 no. I actually like his music, to be honest. And you do? okay. Yeah, I do. I like what him and Travis are doing. Okay. Um, I know catchy. nothing about it. I'm talking shit without, with no real knowledge about what's actually happening there. He, they've, they've written some songs, some good songs, you know, okay. they're catchy. All right. Um, um, the, his look, I, I, I don't think it's fake. I think it's real. I think it's something he, how he wants to represent himself. You know, I, I think everybody that has a look is real. I mean, mm. you know, if you're going to go out there and, 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 and be that person, I mean, that's you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And, and people change, you know, sometimes, um, people want to stand out, you know, and, um, I mean, look at Marilyn Man- Manson. I mean, that person tried really, really hard to stand out. You know what I'm saying? Yes. That was, that was actually, that took work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. You know, and there was, there was a purpose for that, you know, huh. and that, and he succeeded, you know, yes. because just so like out there Yeah. and, and sometimes you gotta, you gotta do that. You know, um, what in the eighties, you know, um, we all had our different looks, you know, um, right. I, I got a lot of, um, grief from my own sponsor because I was wearing like misfits t-shirts and Spider-Man and Batman and all these, these punk bands. And I was, wasn't wearing a lot of Pal Peralta t-shirts with my, you know, <laughs> my logos and their logos. And I'm like, I'm like, I get, I go to this contest and Stacey Peralta comes up to me with a, with a manila folder of Xerox copies. And he's like, what's this? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, look at this cover. You're not wearing a pow shirt. Look <laughs> at this full page. You're not wearing our pow sweats. I mean, look at, I'm like, what, what's up with that? And I'm like, what do you mean what's up with that? That's my style. You're right. Like, That's how I want to represent myself. Huh. So, you know, even, even I even, you know, felt that from my own sponsor, Sure, you know, you know, and I wasn't being fake. I was just, this is how I wanted to represent myself. This is how I wanted to stand out. I didn't want to look like Tony Hawk. I didn't want to look like Mike McGill. I didn't want to right. look like, you know, um, guys that, that were just always wearing the sponsor's shirts. Right. You know, I wanted sure. to look different, you know, huh. so um, I chose that, you know, and I got grief for it, but you know, there's a lot of musicians that said, Hey, you know what? I saw pictures of you in the eighties in, 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 um, in the magazines. And I saw you wearing a misfit shirt and I never even heard of the misfits and I didn't even knew anything about them. Right. And then all of a sudden they're into music and they, you know, and because I was wearing a t-shirt, that's sick, yeah. you know, and these are guys in big bands too. You know, you know, I heard I heard you were a positive guy and and I'm I'm much younger than you and I'm embarrassed that I'm the self-righteous old man <laughs> in this exchange. You've taken, me, you've, you've taken me down a peg. I'm eating crow right now. I shouldn't have talked that way about Machine Gun Kelly. I don't know anything about the guy. He's I probably just see him and I see someone who's like slim and handsome and younger than me. And I just have automatic jealousy but you're right 
Thank you, Steve, for, for <laughs> talking well, me he, off a self-righteous ledge there. Hey, I appreciate he's doing it. something right. He, he's, he's fine. A- <laughs> like, I should, you know, he's fine. Why should I care? You know? He's got an audience. I mean, everyone's yeah. got an audience. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. No, and, you're you know, totally And that's right. fine. You, you don't have to like them. I mean, that's fine. There's there's bands that I don't like. You know, there's, you know, I just don't like the, the style of music. So, um, you know, to each their own. I mean, that's what makes us individual, right? Well, this is why I'm not fucking Travis Barker, you know? <laughs> this is why this is why he's getting those jobs. Is, he's probably talking to Machine Gun Kelly, being like, Yeah, you're great, dude. Yeah. You're awesome. Let's jam. And I'd be like, Yeah, you're right. Well, so who's going farther, you know? Um, well, besides for that, you, you mentioned him quickly and I was just curious. What was the first time you met Tony Hawk? Was it out on like the the contest circuits or, or prior to that? Um, well, actually, Stacey Peralta kind of scouted him out. He was a young amateur. Um, he's younger, was, is he younger than you? He's three years younger than I am. Okay. So when I was already pro, he was in the amateur ranks. So Stacy, who was our, our team manager and our coach at the time, he was the one that was scouting out uh, skateboarders all over the place and trying to build this team called the bones brigade. Right. And, uh, so when I turned pro, he was looking for more amateurs and this is where he discovered Tony Hoff, this little scrawny kid that was like amazing. You know, he couldn't, he couldn't fly very high, but he had very, a lot of technical tricks and he looked very determined when he was skating. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the bones brigade documentary. I yet, have. Yeah. But, you know, it kind of shows the story of like how he discovered Tony and um, he put Tony on the team and, you know, we were fine with that. You know, um, we trusted, I mean, Stacy trusted in us. So uh, I wasn't going to, you know, I really didn't actually have a say of who was on and who wasn't on the team. Right. Um, right. So um, just kind of went with the flow with everything. And, and Tony over the years, you know, he turning pro, he, he surpassed us, you know, because of his passion his drive. He definitely worked a lot harder than everybody else on the team. And he still works mm. hard to this day. Um, so in your mind, when, is that, is that the thing that separates that guy is just a uh, work ethic? Like he's just got crazy it, work ethic. That's what separates everybody is work right. worth mm. work ethic. You know, I don't believe in natural talent. I believe that everyone has to work super hard at what they do. We mm. just don't see the work people put in. We only see the results. We don't, hmm. We're not around people 24-7. We don't know what they think. We don't know what they drink. We don't know how many hours. We don't know the, we don't know the sacrifice that people put into things. Hmm. So it's very easy to be like, oh, well, that guy's good at that because he's naturally talented. I, I call bull on that, hmm. you know, yeah. um, because fear, fear plays a huge role in decision-making and what we pick and choose, what we want to be associated with or participate. And some people are just more courageous than others too. Right. So, you know, you got to put that in place too. So you take a guy that's very talented. That's a very courageous guy. That's a very, or a woman, you know, that's a very right. courageous woman um, because they have put themselves in a vulnerable place to be criticized, um, you know, I learned a lot in skateboarding. Um, you got to fail to succeed. That mm. that's the main thing that you learn in skateboarding is you fall, 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 fall some more, and then you make it. Mm. You know. And I feel like I've applied that to music. I played that 
for art, everything that I associate myself with, you got to put the hours in. And there's some people that just aren't patient. They're not patient enough to put the hours in. And what I've learned, the definition of patience is, is long suffering. Hmm. That's a perfect definition of patience. And if you don't, aren't willing to suffer for a long time, you're not going to be good at anything. Wow. That's intense. It's true. I saw, I saw you uh, in a different interview. You had an explanation on how not to get injured where you said uh, getting your mind in the right mindset and being very positive is one of the ways. And I was thinking for a second, I'm like, I, I don't exactly understand what one has to do with the other, but it was interesting. Is it more of like when you go into something with like a positive uh, mental attitude like that, it helps to succeed because you're not second guessing yourself. Is that the idea behind that? It is, uh, especially okay. if you're skating a handrail that's like more than like ten stairs, and you roll up to it. You you better you better be prepared, and you better right. not second, second guess it uh, when you're approaching it because that's when you get hurt. Huh. You you have to have full confidence of knowing what you're going to do, how you're going to execute the trick, and see yourself rolling away. So you have a full visualization before you're doing it. Always. Everything starts with a dream. Everything starts with a vision in life. Um, Nothing that's been created hasn't started with a dream. Yeah. You know, hasn't hasn't started with a thought. You know, I invented this trick called the Caballero, which is a fakey 360 Ollie air, which had never been done. So I didn't have anything to like look at to be influenced or inspired by. I had to like, imagine that in my head hmm. and a that's lot what of things- blows my mind with with any of these kind of tricks is it, like the first time somebody does something like that how the fuck did you like how did you conceive of it or that it could be done you know well sometimes things happen by mistake right right you know and sometimes you do you, you're you do an accident like you're trying to learn something and you and you you make an accident like oh wait that kind of works. Right. You know, and I feel that's the same with art. I feel that's the same with music. Like let's say you're playing something and you play a wrong chord. You're like, wait, that actually sounds kind of cool. Yeah. I was supposed to play this chord, but I went and did this chord or I was supposed to hit a drum beat and I messed up, but no way that actually, I like that, you know? So, you know, um, when we talked about, when you talked about street skating and where street skating is now, um, a lot of that has to do with the Tony Hawk video game where mm. in, in 99 and the year 2000, um, Activision approached Tony Hawk and, and created this game. And these tricks that you could do on this game, you could only really do them with your hands and your fingers. Right. And you could like do multiple tricks by how fast your fingers were and how you use the, uh, the controller. And I, no, I kid you not, the tricks that kids are doing now, I would have never imagined that I was doing these tricks with my fingers on a video game 20 years ago. Right. And these kids don't know any better. They're like, what? What do you mean? Like, this isn't real. Like, <laughs> you can't actually do this. You know, so it's kind of fun and innocent that the fact that these kids see this stuff on video games, imagine and like, well, that can be that can be done. Right. And they try it. And. Sure enough. Wow. These kids are doing video game tricks now. That's crazy. Like, 
I can fifty is- fifty grind on the bottom of this helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it, it just goes as far as you know, like as far back as the Wright brothers, like thinking right. like they fly. I mean, you know, like dude, you're are you crazy? Like you're gonna fly like a bird? Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, like yeah. speaking of, I now when Brad asked you that, like, is, is it the same in music where you know, um, yeah, you're say listening to oh, like I'm listening to a new Bad Religion record, and there's this great song, and I'm gonna sit down with my you know guitar and you know not write the same song, but come up with something that I'm inspired by this. Like, who in- were the who were the people who were like inspiring you to come up with new tricks like who were you who were you vicking like your little pieces from to like come up with your own shit at that time well when i was an amateur uh there was a pro skateboarder at the time named eddie alguera okay uh near colton pipeline area and uh he was the top guy and he was the guy that was um pushing the limits of skateboarding progression and he was on top because he was so adamant of progressing the sport that he would try these tricks that no one had ever done before. Hmm. So I didn't get to see them until I saw them in the magazines. Right. You know? And once I saw something in the magazine, I saw a sequence of it. I'm like, I'm going back to skate park and I'm going to learn this trick because I, it's a lot easier to see something to create something when you've seen it done already. Right. But to actually make something from nothing it, it, it takes a lot of passion and drive and a positive mental attitude, like, like believing in yourself that you can do this, you know? Um, and that's, that's, the, that's the power of the mind. The mind is very creative. And I feel like we are very creative beings, you know? That's why I believe in God, because I believe that God created everything. I meant you cannot build something from nothing Hmm. something something had to design like a building a building just doesn't pop up right right there's a designer behind this building to build this this building and that's what i feel like life is all about like there Hmm. someone created all this because there's so much beauty and so much diversity in this world that it just doesn't happen from a big bang you don't just bang out of nothing and all of a sudden you got, you know, um, I'm doing a podcast with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? You think this is a divine podcast? That's nice. Hey, <laughs> if my divine path was to be a podcast host. All right. You know you know, someone, someone thought it up. I mean, I mean, someone thought of a, a, a phone. Someone thought of a computer. Someone thought of something, you know, that's, we're just, we're, 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 we're the, we're created in the image of God. We are creators. We're mm-hmm. capable of creating, thinking, uh, making things from not, you know, from just our mind, our thoughts, our dreams, our passions, you know? Um, so that, you know, that's where I'm at in life. That, that uh, I feel like there's a, we have a purpose and I feel like the, it's endless, endless possibilities. You, 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 you think, you think that you're just a podcast guy. You're not, you know, you can be anything, you can be anything that you want to be. Oh no, I don't think that. I think, I think people are all a very 
rich tapestry, uh, myself no. included. I do. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, you know, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm into so many things because I believe that I'm capable of anything I put my heart and mind to, you know, I, I don't even know my, I, there's stuff that I, that I've never even discovered yet about myself, mm. you know, right? because I haven't, I haven't tapped into it yet. So what's next? I mean, you've taken on. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, you got a lot of stuff. Going. Are you going to be a pilot next? Are you going to air balloons? Like, if I was passionate about flying, I would become the best pilot there is. Yeah, nice. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I feel like because I have that attitude, everyone else does. You know, you can have that attitude if you believe in yourself. I noticed you had a thing for uh, evil can evil. Is is this the the reason you're drawn to him? Um. Well, I mean, he offered he offered something uh, to people in the in the mid seventies that that were intrigued and inspired and just wowed over. I mean, he was flirting with death. You know, he was doing something that no one had had ever done before. Yeah, and was bringing some excitement. Um, you know, obviously there's a dang there's an excitement to danger you know of like you can get hurt or you cannot get hurt is he going to make it is he not going to make it you know um there's a, there's a suspense there's a thrill of suspense in that you know so anything that um can cause pain or harm um uh there there's this there's this part of you that that says i'm attracted to that or i'm not attracted to that mm. you know um, so, you know, it, it's just exciting. It's, well, it's, it's exciting. It's kind of like <laughs> the oldest form of entertainment is hurting yourself, right? Like, <laughs> well, no, jumping I mean, off of high I places. Mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't want to hurt myself. No, but no. I'm saying that's why the people, you know, that's where the, the excitement comes in is like, are they, is he going to hurt himself? You no, know? Uh, it, okay. It's like this. It's like this. So when I was a little kid, there was this huge tree that was at my neighbor's and it's like, I'm going to climb to the top of that, you know? And it's like, but if I really thought about it, if my mom saw me, she'd be like, no, you're not. I'm like, why not? She goes, if you fall, you could break a bone or you could die. But when you're a kid, you're like, you don't even think about that. You're like, Mm -hmm. I'm climbing this tree. I don't care. And when I get to the top, I'm going to be cool because no one else did this. Right. (laughs) Right. You know what I'm saying? So it starts at a very young age. We we just we are intrigued with 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 danger. Do you think there's like a you know? I guess one of the far extremes I think about is you know the the climber um, Alex. I forget his name. He's the free solo guy. You know the one who uh, does the mountain climbing without ropes. Um, yeah, I didn't get to see that movie. I, I heard lots about it, free solo. So I, I definitely want to still see that movie, but. It, I heard that's a great movie. Yeah, it's really cool and it's intense. You know, the actual physical aspect of what he's doing is cool, but, you know, the interviews with him and his views about, you know, maybe how close to death you sort of are if you are realistic about it on a day-to-day level. And, you know, that's what I was wondering with the question is, like, what do you think is driving people to that is there like sort of a almost divine like spiritual experience that one has when you 
kind of push yourself to that limit? Like, do you get the same kind of feeling you get when you, when you pray or when you get spiritual? Does it take you to like the middle place? Um, I want to say it's, um, I want to say it's experience. I, w- I want to say it's like, um, so like, let, let me say with like skateboarding, there's no way that I could explain what it feels like to skateboard because unless you do it, unless you go through all the hard work and the pain and the suffering, you will never understand what it feels like. Like, like for me, like I will never understand. I, I, I'm not going to say never. I can't understand what it feels like to surf big waves because I'm not there. I haven't put the work into it, but I know it must be an amazing feeling because people do it, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's that feeling of uh, gratification you get of like pushing yourself and, and doing something that no one else has done and, and, and believing in yourself and, and a- accomplishing a goal uh, for yourself, um, it, 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 I, you, you, it's, you, you feel like you, there's a sense of purpose and a sense, a sense of like belonging, um, that you have something to offer this world that means something to somebody. And in the, in the end, it's true. In the end, it's true. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how good you are at something. It's all about your heart and how you treat people and how you feel about people. And the best people are the best people with the most kindest, humblest hearts. And those are the people that are more attractive than someone who's rich and famous and who's an asshole. Yeah, 100%. You're right. You know what I'm saying? Can't argue yeah, with that. I do. I do. So I've, I've, I've had to deal with that as a pers- person myself is I feel like I'm trying to be the best person I can in my heart. And that's why I gravitated towards a spirituality and Christianity because uh, being sponsored by the best skateboard company or, or having the most money isn't going to teach me how to be a, a good person and, and how to treat people, you know, the best way, you know, I, I can only learn from my parents or my peers, but you know, they may be a bad influence. They may not be the best influence. You know, um, mm. you're only as good as the people you hang out with, you know. Right. Um, but I've learned through reading scripture and reading the Bible that this is the, this is the way that God wants us to be around people. And it's a very difficult road because the, the, the heart is deceitful. It wants other things that are harmful towards us and other people. We can't, we're not, we're not wise enough to see the future. We're, we're very short-sighted as human beings. Mm-hmm. And the Bible is full of prophecies of people that have things have happened in the past that still happen today. So there's nothing new under the sun. Like that nothing right now will ever surprise me. Hmm. I, I don't care if you feel like you know somebody, if they out of the ordinary, they do something that you don't, that that's out of the blue. Like you're like, Oh my goodness. Like I thought I knew that person. Like, no, it's just, you know, you're not capable of knowing anyone because the person that you meet, they're only going to allow so much information for you to know because they want to be looked at in a good light. 
But right. if you really know, if you can really see somebody's heart and what their thoughts are and what they've done in the past, I mean, man, you know, we've done a lot of terrible things that not, we're, we're not proud of. And people really like hold on to those things and they feel like, well, you're such a bad person because like 20 years ago you did this. And like, <laughs> okay, that was 20 years ago, but you know, you know, people change. Yeah. People's hearts change, you know? So we're very, as human beings, we're very judgmental, very critical, very like, you know, um, and that's the thing about fame and fortune. It's like, you can work yourself way all the way to the top, right. And do all these great things. And then as soon as you say something wrong or do something wrong, they'll just chop you down. The same people who lift you up will smash you to the ground uh-huh. in a second, in a yeah. second. Uh-huh if they knew everything about you. And that's why it, it sucks to be a politician or something because people are just out there to just dig up dirt. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. they'll like, you'll do all these great things, but then look what he did when he was 10. Right. <laughs> Speaking of the past, I'm going to do a 360 here uh, because we have a little segment on this uh, podcast that to lighten the, the mood a little bit sometimes, but... <laughs> It's a little game. It's called Mystery Friend. Who did you piss on? Who did you offend? Where you late to the key? Who did you show up at the end? Put on your thinking caps. It's your mystery friend. So I reached out and found a friend of yours. And they told, you know, and asked them for a prompt about something, maybe something funny that happened to you in the past. And, mm-hmm. uh... So I'm gonna. You're gonna tell us the story or elaborate on it, and then you have to try to guess who told me the story. <laughs> so this awesome. is a very That's old awesome. story. Now, is this music, skateboarding, or art? Oh well, I've got a little bit of, I've got a little bit of that. But this is the first one has to do with your first girlfriend. Oh okay, and <laughs> her parents. Who uh, I guess walked in on you <laughs> in the act? Is this true? That was that, was, that was my girlfriend Denise, uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> and she 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 used to love skipping school. She loved it, <laughs> and I had a little MB5 Honda MB550 that I would just. She'd call me up and she'd be like, "I'm not going to school today." <laughs> parents are parents are at work you want to come over and i'm like it's raining outside i'm on a motorcycle okay i'll be over in a second <laughs> right yeah, yeah. and i just what, what age that. are we what age are we talking here well i was 18 she okay. was 15 or 16 okay Okay, so I right now, if that happened now, I'd probably been thrown in jail. Okay. Yeah, eighteen year old with a motorcycle. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> your toes, your toes, exactly. buddy. Yeah, um, but um, so yeah, we're, we're uh, and she actually, she act. This is what's hilarious about this. I'd never been with a with a woman before. She's the one that 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 that, that taught me. Uh, my sexuality. So uh-huh. I, I was a, a virgin at that time. Okay. Yeah. So being 18 years old and a virgin and uh, learning about sexuality, I mean, it's very exciting, you know, 
and fun. Yeah. And you're like, I, I want to do this a lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and she was willing. So speaking remember, of passions we take on as young people. Yeah. <laughs> and I just remember like we were, you know, at her house in her bed. And then all of a sudden her parents walk in and I'm running towards the closet naked. (laughs) And I'm super, (laughs) super embarrassed and I'm hiding in there. And then finally they leave and they're like questioning her, like who is that naked butt that just ran into the (laughs) the closet? Oh no. That's your, is that your boyfriend? See, like, like, they were like, they're like a, you know, kind of a like, like hippie family and uh, just like really like they, they, they liked me. They loved, so, they loved so, me. So, so they were breaking your balls. Pretty much. They, 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 oh they just thought it was funny. And so what do you think? You're naked in the closet. Just like, oh my God. Like I was shitting. I was, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. And I, and I would eat dinner with them and, and they'd make me dinner all the time. And yeah, and I was like so embarrassed. Came, where, and where are your clothes? Like, where are your clothes at this point? Like, they're on the ground. Yeah, where, where they're are they're, so <laughs> you didn't even pick up the evidence. You're, you're no, clearly I'm in the like, closet. I'm, hear, <laughs> I'm hearing someone scra- scramble, and I'm like running, running into like uh, the closet. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. But, but you I know, guess you was, don't have a lot of options at that point. It's either run into the closet or just lay there and just be like, Hey, what's up? You know, yeah. Yeah. that was 1982. Okay. Yeah. Well, do you have any um, idea who might've uh, clued me into that story? Um, well, shoot. I, well, Denise, that was my girlfriend at the time. Wasn't um, her. <laughs> uh, was it Gavin, our singer? It was Gavin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny it's because funny he's the one to introduce me to her. Oh boy. <laughs> it was Gavin and he he had when I first asked him for a question he gave me another one which I'm going to ask you anyway because it's a good it's a good question but it wasn't quite as juicy it was juicy in a different way it's a question yeah. about cheating but not about sex he said okay. that in the late 80s early 90s when he was at Santa Cruz that you were actually uh, a little bit upset with Powell and had come over and they made you a couple decks and that you were skating on Santa Cruz decks for a while, like kind of secretly, I guess. Is that true? No, no, <laughs> no. They there was there was a there was like three times I had gotten upset through with my relationship with with Powell, and one of them, one time I was talking to uh, to Novak, um, Rich Novak from Santa Cruz, mm-hmm. to see if I could ride for Santa Cruz because I was just. Right. Very unhappy with, um, and I think one of I think one of them was when the Stacy brought those Xerox machine um, oh. photos and giving me giving me crap about wearing uh, trying to censor your Misfits t-shirts. Yeah, and I'm like, this is like pretty lame. Like you're you're selling my deck. My deck was like one of the best selling decks in in eighty seven eighty eight. I was I was making fifteen grand a month on wow. board sales. Mm. Crazy, you know. And so I was making two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year in nineteen eighty seven. Nice. And these guys are giving me crap about wearing a t shirt. Right. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm so I'm sure. like, I'm I'm gonna I, I I think I'll quit if you're not happy with me I'll quit. So I did uh, reach out to Santa Cruz. I reached out to Rich Novak, and he directed me to Bob Denike. 
and I had um, a conversation with him like, Hey, maybe, you know, maybe it's time for me to, to switch to a different team. But when I had a, a meeting with them, Santa Cruz didn't have an, an offer on the table that, uh, that I, that I couldn't resist, you know? Um, okay. So I was wondering uh, what you thought was the best era of skateboard graphics. And if you maybe had like a Mount Rushmore of like all time best deck artwork, like, do you have an all time favorite or like a top four, like a Mount Rushmore? Well, I mean, definitely. Um, I, I, I will have to say skateboard artists, and definitely um court johnson from pal Peralta. a lot of his graphics from the 80s were super popular uh jim phillips from santa cruz a lot of his his graphics were were pretty amazing in the 80s um those were i i would have to say those two were the strongest back in the day um and a lot of stuff that puss had drew for zorlak mm. um those were those are, are timeless as well, um, but if you look at um, skateboard history and you look at all the popular graphics at that time, the leading the leading guys were were Pal Pal Peralta and Santa Cruz as mm-hmm. far as um, the best the best artist out there. And what when you through the years, what were your personal favorites? Where you're like, shit, I got to get that board. It just looks too cool. Uh why did collect skateboards at when I was growing up? Yeah, you were know, just so, riding your own, right? Like at this when you were growing up. Pretty much. I wasn't, yeah. you know, I didn't I didn't really think that 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 people would want these things like 30, 40 years later. Right. You know, if I would have known that, I would have kept a lot of people's boards in sure. condition. And I would have kept a lot of mine in, you know, um in pristine condition. You know, but I like I said, I was sponsored. I was riding them, destroying them. I didn't save anything. You know, so I didn't didn't really plan ahead. I wasn't that wise. You know, if I had a if I had parents that were, you know, like a perfect example, Christian Osoy, his dad had a vision for Christian and he looked at Christian as someone who was special Mm. and that everything that he had was special. And he pumped Christian up, you know, like big time to where he kept every single board that Christian rode back in the eighties. Wow. So Christian has, he has a, a, a landmine of like a treasure chest of all eighties decks that were, you know, shown in, 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 he's got a gold mine, like wow. of boards from the eighties that he could sell for thousands and thousands of dollars because there's photographs of him writing these things in the magazines yeah. and he's got tons of them. Wow. And and what's the aftermarket for this stuff at this point? Like what are what are some of these pristine like 80s decks going for? I mean, we're we're in the um, thousands. Oh yeah, for sure. It depends on um the skateboarder, depends on the graphic, depends on the rarity of the board, but I've seen them go um from 5,000 to like $20,000 for just wow. a deck. Wow. Huh. Yeah. So you know, it, it just really, it's just supply and demand. And sure. a lot of the guys who rode these decks when they were kids all have really good jobs now and have made a lot of money. And and now I'm hearing these guys that have made a bunch of money off Bitcoin and mm-hmm. NFTs or have money to spare and just throwing money away that they're, that they're, they're, 
bidding ridiculously on these these boards just to have them. Yeah, apparently something switched in the pandemic because there's a, you know, you know, I heard the podcast where apparently the trading card market is at like an all time high. Um, I know people who run record stores like, you know, resale for certain like records and used stuff is that it's almost as if um, uh, people are transferring their their idea of what assets are. And finding these new and different ways to like collect assets and make money, and I, I bet the skateboard decks are you know part of that as well. No, there are. There's a lot of uh, enthusiasts and people that, like I said, grew up on this stuff, and they want to be known as the person to have this one board. You right. Know? So it's it's really um, it's really to, to be honest with you, it's all perspective. Like this stuff is worth nothing and it's worth tons of money, you know, and, and, and that's where I'm going to go back resorting to, you know, my relationship with God and, 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 and showing me that all this stuff is just materialistic things that we're not taking with us when, when we die, you know? So, um, a lot of people, um, who own a lot of things, don't actually own things. The things own them and they make, they either make or break a person. And, um, you know, it's, it, what it comes down to is like a materialistic thing is just, is that, that's what it is. It's, it's nothing more, nothing less. And it, it, at one point, this thing that you crave and you love means so much to you but the next person standing next to you could care less about that. Sure. So what is it really worth something or is it worth I mean, a lot? Things are only oh. worth what people value, <laughs> you right. know, like, like that's the thing with all of this is uh, like, I, I had a, an instance once where I was at an auction and I brought some of my band's records, you know, gaslight Anthem records, nice and sealed. And, you know, these really nice looking pieces. I'm like, all right, these are going to go to the auction. The money will go to a decent place, blah, blah, blah. Before the night was out, there was 11 bids on an R. Kelly gold disc uh-huh. and zero bids on ours. You know, it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just what people value. Right. Right. It's, it's all perspective. And, and uh, I had some money on the R. Kelly one too. I got to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you want that piece in your house, don't you? Well, I have yeah, and, it. And- and so many people are so uh, afraid to let go of things. It's like, you know, we're just borrowing these things. They're not, we don't really own them. It's like, let's let someone else enjoy it for a little bit. You know, I it's agree. like, it's like I had these decks. Okay. For example, we'll go back to skateboarding. I had a lot of uh, my team riders decks from the eighties, just kind of in a closet. I just kept them because I'm like, I want one of one of each of the, my teammates boards. So I kept them from the eighties. You know, I, I had five decks that this collector wanted and they were just shoved in this closet, you Hmm. know, collecting dust. And this guy really wanted, wanted all five of these. And he said, I'll give you 12, $13,000 for all those five decks. Wow. Like what? And he's (laughs) like, yeah, I'll I'll give you $13,000. And I'm like, and I wanted to buy this Harley Davidson. That was that my friend was selling um, for 15. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. I could take these five decks that are just in a closet collecting dust and I can, 
have this 1944 flathead Harley that I can race on the beach with all these other uh, motorcycle enthusiasts and, and, and hot rodders um, by just letting someone else have these decks and have them uh, displayed on their wall to look at and be proud of. And I, here I have um, this killer vintage 1944 Harley Davidson bike that was in the war, Wow. you know, and so, you know, it's all perspective, you know, it's just like, this guy wants these decks. I want this Harley Davidson. Let's make a trade. It's a fair deal. <laughs> a fair deal. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, you know? yeah, Steve, we've kept you for a long time, man. I didn't realize how, how long we kept you already. <laughs> and uh, this was fun. Thanks for talking to us. I really enjoyed well, yeah. picking your brain. And thanks for, uh, you know, half inventing one of the things <laughs> I love so much. Uh, I was... <laughs> A, even though I was never great at skateboarding, I have a deep, deep love for it and spent a good part of my childhood staring at you and your friends on video. So I appreciate <laughs> well, it. Like, you know, it's, it, thank you. Yeah, so I'm, I'm stoked. And uh, thank you guys for having me. You guys are great. Thanks, man. Yeah, we really appreciate your time, dude. It's, it's been a really fun interview. Yeah, have a great well, night. Thanks, Steve. You too. Thank you, guys. Well, well, well. <laughs> a lot of big uh, subjects there. We got into it. Yes, indeed. We go off track here, and it's a safe place for everyone. Yes, indeed it is. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, oh, but I liked um, a lot of what Steve was talking about. Like, uh, I like the discipline. I like when people talk about, you know, not only the the talent, but the discipline and how the, you know, the people who make it to the, the step above are the ones who usually just have this. You do not fantastic become work ethic. You, you know? do not become an immortal skater without having crazy discipline. There's no, no way. There's no fucking way. You have tricks named after you that people are doing 40 years later. You gotta be, you gotta have a lot of discipline. <laughs> but like, let me, so but the greats, like the great greats are the people who come around that have like the unique blend of both. Right. Well, yeah, like, you have to have both. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's not like Tony Hawk and some other guy. were just on a totally equal playing field. And then Tony Hawk just worked harder. Like he was uniquely talented then coupled it with the work ethic. Right. Like, yes, that's, but That's my, when you get the, the superstars. Yes, exactly. But my point has always been, and mainly to my kids, to get them to work harder, <laughs> is that I guarantee that there is there was a Tony Hawk or a Steve Caballero who had a little bit more talent than either one mm. of those guys. Who's oh, not right. who's not in the lexicon because they just didn't go that take that extra like that, those many, 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 many extra steps of just busting their ass to, to be thousand better. thousand percent. There's always those weird variables, right? Or even the people, you know, it's something I wish, I wished when I was younger was not a part of music and entertainment. But, you know, the more and more years I spend in it, it's pretty obvious it is. But this idea of even how you're presenting yourself yeah. and your yeah. aesthetic and... You know, even Steve, 
back in the day, you know, is rocking his own t-shirts yeah, and just doing things a little bit different to like, you know, stand out and create his own aesthetic. So it's like, it's like this mix of variables, you know, you, you would like to think that the people who get to the upper echelons of these things do it out of this sheer primal stomach gurgling urge that just comes from within this divine spirit that's sent to them. But people more likely than not are sitting in their rooms coming up with what they want to be and then just doing it. Right. And that's like part of it, you know? Um, I don't know. Like how many bands sounded like kiss? Uh, I don't know. A bunch, right? <laughs> Maybe. It's funny you should ask because I'm actually reading this book, which I don't want I don't know if I want to prop it because it's not turning out as good as I thought it would be. But it's okay. It's actually it's I almost brought it up because he when he said like what three bands he was listening to, he said Ace what did he say? Eight, no, he AC said AC Cheap Trick and uh, Aerosmith. Right. So this book that I'm reading now is actually about Cheap Trick, Aerosmith, Kiss. And this band stars Uh and they were all connected via like management and producers like really closely. And they all had kind of the same kind of push and the same, but nobody knows who stars is. Yeah. And I've went back and listened to stars and stars is the only band that I could think of that kind of sounded like kiss. I don't think I've never heard a band that sounded like kiss. Like when I was 12 years old and I heard kiss that changed my world because like, I, there was nobody with that big crunchy guitar sound. Stars actually sounds a little bit harder. Interesting. But it, yeah, it wasn't until the fucking Sex Pistols that you had these like crunchy guitars, dude. Like it just wow. didn't happen. It what didn't exist in the seventies. It was like you said, fucking Steely Dan and fucking <laughs> Foreigner, dude. <laughs> Man, I have been put in my place by you old bastards twice <laughs> on this podcast. You know. Steve took me down a notch with Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> I was going to make the point that the only reason Kiss was famous was because, you know, they dressed their drummer up like a space cat. But uh, apparently they were actually a, a novel band. Well, I got to say there was a good quote in here about Kiss. That was, Kiss was smart people making dumb songs for smart people. <laughs> smart people making dumb songs for smart yeah. people. Okay. And for dumb people as well, but I mean, yeah. that was like a... That sounds like some point. version of just pop music right yeah, there. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, no, I guess I shouldn't say the pop music audience is all smart. I wouldn't say the Kiss listening audience is all smart either. Most of them know. are not. Yeah, I might debate <laughs> that quote. I might. To ever tell you, the coolest I ever felt was my friend's older brother had a communion party. That's what it's called, right? You Christians do when you're like 15 or 16? Uh, I'm going to say, okay. I've never Communion, been to one. So I think I something like it. that. All I remember is I ate the ear of a pig. Um, but it's a Catholic uh, thing, I, I would suppose. This guy was a big Kiss fan, you know, and my mom was this like, you know, nerdy record collector and stuff. And she randomly, for some reason, had like a whole thing of sealed kiss playing cards. <laughs> and I show I'm like, Oh, can I have a few to give to this guy for his communion? I gotta say, I was like the coolest dude at the party <laughs> for bringing kiss trading cards. So big ups to me. Um, 
But thanks to Steve for for coming on this. Uh, yeah, thanks, and Steve. Check and out uh, check out Urethane, the new band. The record's good. The songs are cool. Listen to a lot of it today. It's catchy oh, you did? stuff. I gotta yeah. check it. I gotta good check group, it. fun video. Like, uh, yeah, nothing wrong with it. It's like what I what I would want to hear from Southern California punk rock. It's good, you know. So I'm sure, we'll be seeing more of it. Yeah, you can keep up with all of that at Steve Caballero. The record's out on September 24th, officially. And uh, give give us uh, like a review or uh, some stars <laughs> on the iTunes. We have the Patreon. We've been a little slow the last month with Brad jet-setting around, doing whatever you do out there. Saving but, the world, man. I'm an adventure. But, you know, now we're back. We're grounded. Our children must be in school. Yeah. So we will be more active on the Patreon, providing more content. And uh, I want everybody to, to love everybody this week, you know? Do that. Do that.